Luke chapter 11. Let's open up to Luke chapter 11. Thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the excellent special. Good to be saved. Good to be in the house of God this morning. Been looking forward to this all week. Luke chapter 11. And today we're going to cover down through verse 4. However, I want to bring to your attention... This is the beginning of a three-part series. I, I don't often get to do this because of the nature of what, what I've been preaching through. As you know, I've been going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, passage by passage. And therefore, we just deal with whatever is in the passage. However, for the next several verses, Jesus is dealing with one topic. In verse number one, Lord, teach us to pray. In just a moment, we'll read what we're dealing with, but teach us to pray. That's the name of the series. Today, part one, we're going to deal with points of importance. There are some points of importance that Jesus emphasizes. And then next week, by the grace of God, we'll deal with part two about persistence. Jesus speaks about importunity in verse number eight. That's persistence. And then in verses nine to 13, part three will be the personality of God which if you're going to understand prayer and how to go about that, it is of the utmost importance that you know the nature of the God to whom you are speaking. So chapter 11 and verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, now from this point forward, you could probably quote this without looking at it. He said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's bow our heads, and before we talk about learning to pray, let's pray about that. Father, help us this morning as we uh, have opened up the Word of God. We've read just a little bit now of what you've said on this very important topic of prayer. Father, there just are not enough words to teach us properly how to communicate with you. We want to learn, though. We want to learn. Give us something today, Lord, that we can take home and immediately put into practice. Speak to our hearts so that we know how to speak to you and to your heart. Lord, thank you for the privilege of having your word. Thank you for teaching us about prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If Jesus could give you one pre-approved petition, ask anything you want and he'll give it to you, what would it be? You You ever play those games in your mind? Maybe you talk, I mean, this is a fun conversation topic, you know, just sitting around the dinner table. If you could have any superpower, you know, what would it be? Because if you're like me and you have that, that kind of imagination, you think, well, you know, I'd ask for x-ray vision or super strength or the ability to fly. I want to be a technopath for you IT guys, you know. I, I want to have super speed and run like the flash and so forth. And uh, when you come down to reality and realize that's fine for comic books and movies, but it's not going to work in the real world. What would you ask for? He says, listen, ask anything you want and I'll I'll do it. Anything, just name it. Once off deal, would you be incredibly rich? 
Remember, Solomon kind of had this deal yeah. a little bit. Uh, would you be incredibly rich? Perhaps, and given a person's circumstance, I could see where they would say, I want to be completely healthy, clean bill of health. God, please give me a good marriage. And, and perhaps you have a broken one and would like a good one, or perhaps you're not married yet, find me the right spouse. Bring the right spouse. I, I think those are legitimate things. God, help me find a job. Help me, Lord, to pass the exam. Kind of depends on where you're at in life, right? What you might ask for. In all of these hypothetical situations, I want to point something out. What we're asking God to do is to automatically just give it to us. Just, God has said, I'll, I'll, I'll give you whatever you ask, just ask. And boom, we expect it to just come. Almost, can we say, miraculously? It just floats down from heaven and bam, now. Now it's so. But that's not what the disciples asked here. They didn't say, Lord, teach us a shortcut so that we can get what we want when we pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we'd like to have a prayer life. Of all the superpowers, if you want to call it that, that you could possibly possess, perhaps the greatest one that you could achieve in this life is knowing how to pray. If you think about it, if you learn how to pray to the best of your human ability and knowing how to pray with the best of God's grace involved in it, because you know our human ability will only take us so far. You need the grace of God to even make your prayers worth mentioning in the Lord's direction. But once you learn that, do you not see how every other area of life would then be properly affected? the money that you might need, the health you might need, the fix to your marriage, the finding of a job, the passing of the test, the you becoming the Christian you need to be. All of that is greatly affected by, listen, God, help me to learn the Bible. Learning the Bible starts with prayer. There may not be any better thing to ask of the Lord, better than just God, give me a once-off, miraculous, float it down from heaven and now fix all my problems. Do you realize how, how that may not help you as much? Because it, there's a good chance you wouldn't appreciate it like you should. He says, they, they say to the Lord, teach us to pray. Don't just give us something quick and easy. Teach us to pray. In our discipleship lessons, one of them is on prayer, and I've said this for years, I'll say it to you now in this sermon today. Of all the lessons I teach in discipleship, and I've taught it for more than 20 years, the lesson on prayer is the most difficult. And it's not because of the nature of the material. It's, it's not because the points are necessarily difficult to grasp. It's because it's, it's so deep. It's because it's so necessary. It's so important. How can I say enough? It's not a one-hour lesson and there. You have all the information you need about prayer. Just go on and do that. It's not that simple. And that's what makes it so difficult. I had a pastor friend in America that he decided to teach on prayer every Wednesday night. That was their midweek service. And they had prayer meeting every Wednesday after, uh, evening. And he preached on prayer for three years straight every Wednesday night and never preached out of the same verse twice. 
Brethren, there is so much in the Bible. That's what makes it so difficult to teach on prayer, to preach about prayer. It's not as if 13, 14 verses is going to cover it all. When they say, teach us to pray, Jesus is going to give us some instruction. But as I tell you in the discipleship, and I say it again now, the best way to learn how to do this is to do this. You simply have to get started. What we're going to learn today, Jesus gives us some points of importance. He gives us some structure for our prayers so that we can at least, this is a good jumping off spot. We know what to talk to God about. Hold your place here and come to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Lord, teach us to pray. I've offered this on a few occasions. I've said if, if anybody would like to have a prayer meeting, please just let me know. I, I'd be happy to schedule that with you. I'll come to your house. You can come to mine. I'll meet you at the office. I'll meet you at the church. I'll meet you anywhere. Just let me know. I'd love, I'd love that privilege. Can I just say that that offer stands? That, that offer doesn't go away. I can think of no better use of our time together than you and me approaching the throne of grace together. And please don't, don't hear that and think, oh, pastor, uh, you know, some sort of expert in prayer. It's not that at all. I'm in there practicing alongside you. <laughs> I'm also right there with the disciples saying, Lord, teach me to pray. I've been doing it 27 years, but Lord, teach me to pray. Because I still don't have this figured out. Not like I would like to. John 18, what did Jesus do? Verse number one, when Jesus had spoken these words. All right, what words? John chapter 17. You know what he did in John 17? Jesus is walking down the path. He's going towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Does everybody know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? We, we, know, we know how special that place is. That place is reserved for prayer. Jesus was walking down the path the last few hours of his time together with the disciples on the earth. And before he gets to the cross, he's going to make a stop in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in John 17, he's walking down the path. The sun has gone down. You have the darkness of night, just the moon to light the path. And Jesus is speaking to the Father. That's John 17. Jesus is praying out loud while he walks. Guess who's listening? The disciples. They're hearing him talk to the Father. And this brings us to chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. This will be the garden of Gethsemane. And Judas also, verse 2, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus, tell me the next word. Oft times, often, Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. You know why I'm showing you this verse? I want you to see what the Lord did to teach them to pray. He said, let's go to Gethsemane together. And he did it often. Guys, you realize that Jesus didn't take them into the garden, sit down, hold hands and say, okay, let's repeat it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He didn't do that. Did you know nowhere in the Bible do you ever read that Jesus actually prayed that prayer? Our Father which art in heaven. I, I'm not against, please understand, I'm not condemning anybody for reciting the prayer. I'm just pointing out a biblical and historical fact that Jesus never recited that prayer. 
Furthermore, not one time in the book of Acts, nowhere in the New Testament, does any disciple say, let's gather together and pray this prayer together. Take your Bible, come to Matthew chapter 6. Keep Luke 11 in your other hand. We'll come right back to that. Look at Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. I do not think it's a sin to recite it. I will say this, however, I do not believe the Lord gave us these instructions I don't think he gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. I don't think he intended this to be recited or just repeated. I believe he gave this to us for some structure, some points of importance to say when you pray, these are the things you pray about. Folks, you do realize that I timed it last night just to see. I I can recite the whole prayer in 15 seconds. And, and, and I'm not going fast. When I was young, grandma had a rule. You're not allowed to leave the breakfast table if you haven't prayed the rosary. I was raised as a Catholic. The Catholics have those beads, you know, they wear around their neck. And a rosary has several beads on it. Every bead is a prayer. So you have to say six Our Fathers, 53 Hail Marys, six Glory Bees, and pronounce five different mysteries. And, and it's different every day of the week. And then you can offer some prayer requests in between. That's what the chains are in between the beads is prayer requests that you can offer up. So my uncle John, he would always lead us in prayer. Man, we had to get to work. We were on a farm. We don't have time to sit around and our father who art in heaven. We didn't have time for that. So man, uncle John, he could pray. He said, all right, now, everybody, let's get our rosaries. And they'd all get the rosaries. All right, here we go. Our Father, our name, happy name, the kingdom of in heaven. And then the rest of us would finish. Give us this day, because our church, because the church, because the amen. And before we could get done, Uncle John was into the next one. Our Father, our name, and it would just go. At the end, right, it's sold. That's what you want to say. That's what you want to say. <laughs> I, I do not think... Now, now listen, I, not everybody that recites the prayer is doing it just to get it out of the way. I know that. You know that. And, and I'm saying it because this, that is a real story from my past, okay? I'm just sharing the story with you. I'm not trying to be condemning or anything like that. I just want you to understand, I don't think that's how Jesus intended for that prayer to be used. Matthew 6, verse 5, And when thou prayest... Notice he said when, not if. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Well, this tells me something. There's a wrong way to pray. You can do it wrongly. Hence the very important question that should come out of every disciple's mouth. And if you're here today and claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it should be the prayer of your heart. Lord, teach me to pray. Your heart should cry out for that. He says, don't do it as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. For uh, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Well, what were they looking for? Just to be seen of men, heard of men. They accomplished that. Done. That was all they wanted from their prayers. Verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Real prayer affects you after you walk out of the prayer closet. Real prayer has a lasting effect 
It's not some feel-good thing in the moment and then you go on about your day as if it didn't happen. Shut the door. Friend, do you really think that the Father desires us to shut the door, repeat the prayer 15 seconds, and then open the door and walk out? That is not. That is not what the Father's looking for. In verse number 7, but, he says, but when ye pray, use not vain, what? He said, don't sit there and just repeating. Do you see that? He, he warns us, before we get to verse 9, where we have what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, he, he warns us in verse 9, the heathen have a way of praying, where they just repeat things. He said, don't do that. That's not praying. He said, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. The question then comes up, if He already knows what I need, why am I asking? Have you ever wondered that? Why am I going to Him in prayer? He already knows what I'm going to say anyway. He already knows what I need. Yeah, but do you? Because we step in thinking, well, God, here's, here's the list. Here's what I need. And God says, no, no, that's the wrong list. Here's the list. This is a time of communion where you speak and then you listen. That's why you shut the door. You can't have all the distractions. You've got to shut the devices off and put away the noise and push out the, the, what, what the world's trying to throw at you and just get alone and, and listen. Speak to God and then listen. Then he says in verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. So let me give you some, some structure. Let me give you the important points that you want to cover when you pray. And he gives them an example. Guys, I have done this many times, but in a different situation. I've preached the gospel to somebody, and they understand that without the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross, they have no way of being reconciled to God. There's no way they can develop a relationship with the Lord because their sins separate them from God. But then they hear the glorious news that Jesus died and paid for their sins and there's no other way back to God except through Jesus Christ. And that sinner who has never known God in spirit and in truth says, I want to get saved. But they realize, I don't know how to talk to God. I don't even know what to say. And I, I thank God for their honesty. I've had them say it on several occasions. I want to pray. I want to call upon the name of the Lord. But I don't know what to say. Can you tell me what to say? I don't mind that honesty. They're not asking me to do it for them. You understand that? They're asking from the bottom of their heart, just, just give me some structure. Give me an idea of what to say. And some folks have... I've, I've met them where they've never prayed before in their life. They've never uttered one syllable to Godward. And in those rare situations, I will say, listen, just repeat after me. Now, I'm, I, I tell them before we go through it, I tell, this is what I'm going to say. Do you agree to what I'm going to say? Yes. Do you understand what I'm going to say? Yes. Is this what you want to tell God? Yes. Let's do it together. On those rare moments, I will give them some structure. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm just telling them these are the kind of things you would say to God in this circumstance. 
Often people call that a sinner's prayer. I do not expect them to repeat that prayer every day for the rest of their lives in order to commune with God. I'm just giving them a jumping off spot. I believe that's what Jesus is giving his disciples. Let me give you some points of importance and then you take it from here. You get into that closet and you start talking to the Father about these things. So come back to Luke chapter 11. And we'll use Luke's record of the Lord's Prayer, which is very similar to what we have in Matthew. Luke 11 and verse number 2. He said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father. So we stop there just for a moment. Because we're not just going to go 15 seconds into this. This isn't a 15 second sermon, sorry. We'll be here just for a few extra minutes. Our Father. As a Jew, the Jew would say this and, and think of something a little different than you and I. Because the Jews looked at their God in, in a different way. The nation of Israel was considered God's son. Did you know that? Exodus chapter 4, God told Moses, you go say to Pharaoh, let my firstborn son, let him go. Let my son go. In the book of Hosea, it said, my, my son came up out of Egypt. Talking about Israel. The Bible says that Israel is my son, even my firstborn, saith the Lord. So as a nation, Israel looked at God as father, as their father. In the book of Malachi, the prophet said this, Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? So that nation looked at God as father. He brought us together. He brought us out and gave us life as a nation. So when a Jew prays this prayer, they're going to look at it through Jewish eyes. They're praying about this kingdom that had been promised down to the prophets. Please bring that kingdom. Reestablish our nation. You and I now understand the Jew might read that a little different. That doesn't take away from the truth of this for us. When, when we pray, I'm also keen to turn my eyes and my soul to God and say, my father. If we're praying as a group, it wouldn't pain me at all to say, our Father. Why? Because the Spirit of God that lives in our hearts cries out saying, Abba, Father. Have you ever wondered why he says Abba? Why Abba, Father? Abba is the Hebrew word for Father. Why does it say Abba? Because that was the language of Paul's heart. Jesus also said Abba, Father. You know why? Hebrew was the language of his heart. When you pray to God, you cry out with the language of your heart. You don't, pray, you don't pray in some other tongue. You pray in your tongue. The language you know from the deepest part of your heart. The way that you can relate to God the best. And you cry out, Father. You know what this means. You're not just talking to your creator. You're not just talking to your provider. You're not just talking to your savior. You're not just talking to your healer. You're talking to your father. I want you to think of this just for a moment. Dads, please look this way. Can any of you dads give me 
just the right words to tell me how much you love your children? Anybody want to go for that? Anybody want to make a stab at it? <laughs> I don't. I'll put my hand down. <laughs> I cannot put into words how much I care about my children. Now as a dad with two kids that live on the other side of the ocean, two grandbabies, and a third one on the way, I cannot tell you how my soul just jumps with joy when I get a call and my child wants to speak to me. Hey, Dad, how are you doing? Man, there's just fewer things in the week that's better than that. That's my child. I, I, you know what my issue is these days? When my children call, I'm, I didn't realize this. I, I wish somebody would have told me this. You younger dads, listen closely here. Brace yourself. You start getting emotional as you get older. <laughs> you do. I thought I was a little bit strong. I'm a wimp. <laughs> my kids melt me. They call me up. My son called this week and said, Mom, Dad, I got engaged. Okay. That a boy. <laughs> Way to go, son. <laughs> I struggle to tell you how much joy that gives me to know that he's found a godly, lovely young lady to spend the rest of his life with. I don't have enough words in my language, in any language, to express the deep, deep love of our Heavenly Father towards us. That's who you're speaking to. You're speaking to someone that cares about you more than you will ever understand. And I mean ever for all eternity. You will not be able to wrap your head around the immensity of God's love towards you as a father. Not just creator, provider, savior, healer, friend, but father. Our father. This gives me an opportunity to remind you a good prayer life starts with you being born again. If you're not saved, if you've never been born again, you cannot cry out in all honesty and truth, My Father. The Spirit of God doesn't dwell in your heart to say, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God would cry out to you and say, Come to Christ so that you can be born again and rightfully call Him Father. The next part of our prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. This is another important important point of prayer number one he's your father number two which art in heaven i think this gives us some perspective god is not limited to one location our father who dwells in pachastruum how it, it, would that sound strange right? then then you would think what he only knows what's going on in pachastruum we heard it this morning an outstanding lesson about the tongue but Brother Garrett, he gave us a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, where God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Why? Because I see only so little of the situation. God sees the whole thing. He is not limited in any way. He sees it all. He hears it all. He knows it all. He knows my situation, my heart. He knows your situation, your heart. He knows what's going on over there on the other side of the world in some frozen peninsula with volcanoes erupting. He knows what's going on in those hearts. 
all at the same time. Just listen to this verse as I give it to you. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. <laughs> now right away, if you, if you are in that closet with the door shut and you have your eyes shut and you let your mind start working on that, he inhabits eternity. What's that look like? He is the high and lofty one. Perspective. He's up there in heaven overseeing the whole thing. Listen to this. I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. You understand what the word contrite means? It means you're truly sorry for what you've done. With Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says, I'm the high and lofty one, but I will also come down and make myself accessible to the person who's humble enough to invite me in. I, I, I'm giving you this verse because for the next two or three points of importance, you're going to need to know this perspective. He's in heaven, yes but he's made himself available to anybody humble enough to desire him. As far above as he is, he is still interested and able to reach down to the deepest pit and pull you out of it. So when I speak to my father, I have to understand he is not limited by anything like me. Our father, which art in heaven, now I'm appreciating the grandeur of his being. But then it says, hallowed be thy name. This is the third point of importance. Hallowed be thy name. This is a, a fancy way of saying his name is holy. We just heard that in Isaiah, didn't we? Whose name is holy. Hallowed be thy name. This is a name that he has earned. This is a name that he has earned simply by his nature. This is a name that only he rightfully can have, it sets him apart from all the other gods that have ever been created by man. The gods that have been created in the imaginations of men and mythologies can only live up to the righteousness of a man because men created him. The God that created us, his holiness just goes so far beyond what we can imagine. I don't know what it feels like to have no wrong thoughts. I don't know what it feels like to always know the right thing to say and when to say it. Brother Garrett, great lesson, but I don't know what right words to use all the time. Do you? I don't. God does. He is high and holy, separate from sinners. Hallowed be thy name. This separates him from the gods of the heathen. It separates him from every ancestor that's ever been. I don't care if your ancestors are white or black. I don't care who your heroes are. None of them measure up to the unique and special God that we have because he's holy beyond anything we can imagine. 
He's so holy when you get up into heaven, the cherubim and the seraphim and the four and twenty elders and the living beast and all the multitudes, the ten thousand times ten thousand of angels, when they begin to describe God, you know what they say? They have to say it three times just to get the point across. Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts is his name. The earth is filled with his glory. And when they say it, the Bible says the post of the doors begin to move and heaven is filled with a smoke. His holiness is thrice impressive. If it blows heaven away, if it moves the doorposts of heaven, should it not move your heart? Should it not cause your soul, your heart to tremble just a bit to say, I am allowed to enter into this throne room of grace and approach a God who is this holy? Immediately, I begin to think to myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why am I here? How could a God that holy allow somebody like me to approach somebody like Him? Do, do you see, if you don't just recite it, if you don't just repeat it, if you actually think about it while you pray it, this prayer covers a lot. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Point four, Thy kingdom come. I could speak to you on a prophetic and a political level. That is what the prayer is about. There was a promise to the Jews that the Messiah would come and establish a kingdom and it's right to pray that. This is the same as you and I saying, Lord, please come quickly. Right? It's the same type of idea. However, there is a political kingdom in the Bible. A political kingdom that Jesus will one day establish on the earth. He will sit upon the throne of his father David, which is an earthly throne, and rule as king of kings and lord of lords. But there's another throne. A much more important throne that the Father desires to occupy. And it's the throne that is your heart. There is the political kingdom, but there is also the personal kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Friend, when we say, thy kingdom come, what you are doing is inviting God to sit upon the throne of your heart that is only possible if you first remove yourself from the throne of your heart. Otherwise, the seat is occupied. He will not share it with you. You don't scoot over just a little and let God have one side of it. You step down, you abdicate the throne, you step away and you say, God, I am not smart enough to run my own life. I don't have all the answers. In all my ways, I acknowledge you and I want you to direct my path. And you let God take the throne of your heart. This comes with a willing decision. You have to willingly yield to Him. Thy kingdom come. May I tell you, it is the same thing as praying this, fill me with your spirit. Same thing. Where do you find the kingdom of God? It's not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I want you to have complete control. You hold the reins 
of my heart. Thy kingdom come, the next point. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Point number five, another important point that you should pray about. Friend, do you realize you should take more time than I'm using this morning? You should take time to investigate these points as you pray. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. If God's will is always done, why would we need to pray about it? Now, I'm actually giving you a very deep philosophical point there. But if God, because people say this, something happens and they say, well, it must have been the will of God. Now, let's not be lazy in our thinking. Just because something happened doesn't mean God wanted that to happen. Question, in heaven, do they have a choice? Careful now. Because if you say they have no choice, everybody in heaven always does what God tells them to do, then what do we do with Satan? There's a choice. What do we do with the who knows how many angels have already left heaven? And by the way, they still leave. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In Revelation 12, a third of the angels will still fall in the future. Heaven has a choice, just like you do. Just like you do. When we say, thy will be done, what we are saying is God, much like Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. We we are acknowledging that we do have a choice but that we'd rather do things God's way. We are inviting, we are telling God, I would rather it work out the way you plan and you desire than the way I want it to. So even though maybe I've devised a path, Lord, if you want to redirect the steps of my life, it's yours, please, thy will be done. Not mine, not mine. Just as the inhabitants of heaven have a choice, we do as well. The prayer here is, God, help me to accomplish the revealed will of God. You've already shown me, God, there are certain things you want me to do. Please help me to do those things. Are you you with me on that? You know that there are certain things God wants us to do. We call it the general will of God. We know what those things are. We should be busy doing those things. But yet at the same time, when you shut the door to the prayer closet, you're also asking God, what are the specific things that you want me to do? While I am busy doing those general things every Christian should do, show me what I as an individual need to be busy doing. Reveal it to me and perhaps he already has. Ask him to help you stick with his will to carry that cross and follow him. And then I would encourage you to say this, on a regular basis in your prayer closet, God, if you want to change anything about my life, perhaps you've you've shown me the general will, you've shown me the specific things, but Lord, at any moment, if you want me to change and go somewhere else and do something different to take on any other responsibility or task, Lord, I'm yours. Thy will be done. In heaven, there are exceptional cases where the will of God doesn't happen. We know this. The devil fell. Angels fell. But the rule is, when God says it, they snap to attention and get the job done. 
May that be the same reality in our lives. May it be the rule in our lives that when God tells us to do it, we do it regardless of how big the sacrifice is. Regardless of how big the task is, regardless of how big the change would be. The greatest thing that God has ever asked of anybody in heaven. Do you know what it was? We have it recorded in Scripture. We know what it was. At some point, God turned to the Word, to His Son, and said, Son, it's time for you to go down and to be born of a woman. To take on human flesh so that you can live as a human being. And die for the sins of mankind, suffering the most agonizing of deaths. And without hesitation, the Bible says, though he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. No argument, no hesitation, not my will, thine be done. So when Jesus says, when you pray, then I want you to structure your prayer, your approach to the will of God, just like it happens here in heaven. The Father says, we do. The next thing in verse number 3, give us this day. Give us, forgive me, I'm praying the Matthew version of it. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. I think most of us live in that verse. <laughs> right? Most of us are there, right? We got verse 3 down. All right, next point, <laughs> we're good with that. But do we, do we really pray that? Think about this. Do you really pray that? God, you don't need to give me enough for tomorrow. I'm happy with just enough for today. That, that verse scares me. I'll be honest, that verse scares me. You know why? I don't think I have enough faith to pray that. Most of us, our faith is in our pantry, not in our prayer closet. And, and I, guys, that is not me throwing some fancy criticism at you. I'm right there with you. I know some people that pray for their daily bread, and they're my heroes. I've not been shy to mention them on many occasions. I, I know several Malawian pastors that have given up jobs in Malawi or in South Africa, rather, to live in Malawi and minister there deep in the bush in the villages. And some days they don't have their daily bread and still do not curse God, still find a way to be thankful. Give us day by day our daily bread. Folks, can I, I want to be careful to say this. You, you, you need not feel conviction if your pantry is full. Okay? You need not feel conviction if there's money in the bank. You need to be thankful. Be very careful. It's always boggled me. When I read this prayer, where's the thanksgiving? That's always boggled me. I see the confession. I see the request. I see the, the worship. But where's the thanksgiving? It's embedded into every part of this. I'm thankful that I can call God my Father. I'm thankful that I have a God watching over me. I have a God who's holy, who's not corrupt. I have a God who will tell me what He wants me to do. I have a God that will rule on the, heart of my, uh, on the throne of my heart. I have a God that provides for me. 
So much so that he doesn't give me just day by day, but a pantry. You better be thankful. But let's say, let's take this maybe one quick step further. The only thing you need is it bread? Is that all you need? Give, give, give us day by day our daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word of God. So perhaps your pantry's full. And if it is, praise the Lord. Use it wisely. Pray about how you can share some of it. If your dresser is filled with clothes and your bank account is filled with money, praise the Lord. Be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Amen. Amen. That's what the Bible says about we who are rich. That's the attitude towards it. But let's not trick ourselves into thinking, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Don't go there. There are plenty of things you need day by day. Do God the honor of letting your requests be made known with thanksgiving. How dare we? How dare we who are extremely blessed, way beyond what we deserve, go with any sort of complaint and say, God, why not this and why not that? Let's be careful to come to God humbly and say, God, you have been so good to me, better than I could ever imagine. May you please, and then let your request be made known to God. Don't feel ashamed to let a request be made known, but be careful that it's coming with thanksgiving. Be mindful of all that you need. God, I have plenty of bread for the day to put in my mouth, but I need some bread from heaven, some bread from your word to go into my soul. And God, I can't go a day without it. God, I need wisdom to make good decisions today. God, I need patience to deal with my mother-in-law today. God, I, I need help. My boss, I need help with that man. Whatever the need is, bring it before the Lord. Luke 11, the next point, verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. The next important point. Forgive us our sins. If someone has done you wrong, don't you want a heartfelt apology? Let me say reword that. Wouldn't you appreciate a heartfelt apology that they come to you humbly, contrite, sorrowful, a godly sorrow, and say, I I am truly sorry that I offended you. Be careful that we don't throw out a heartless, mindless, blanket apology. God, just forgive me for everything I've done. Please don't go down that path with this. When he says, forgive us our sins, think about what you've done. Because the next part of the verse, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. We know how people have done us wrong and how it hurt. And we know how we want them to make it right towards us. We should do the same thing towards God. Be mindful of how you've hurt him. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. God, help us to be more sensitive to the grieving of the Holy Spirit. 
when, when we say something, when we think something, when we do something that doesn't sit right with him and something inside of us says, that, 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 that the father's not happy with that, might we be quick to go to God and say, God, I, I'm sorry that I've hurt you. I want to make that right. I wonder if you would be so bold as to pray it like this. Look at verse 4. Tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. How about you pray this? God, please treat me the way I've been treating others. Would you pray that? Do you see how going in to the prayer closet, shutting the door, before you say that to God, treat me the way I've been treating others. You, I tell you what, I am going to step out of the prayer closet, go make it right with my brother. Doesn't that sound like Bible to you? Isn't that what Jesus taught us to do? Leave the gift at the altar, go make it right with your brother, then come back and do business with God. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? If I'm in my prayer closet saying, now God, please forgive me like I've been forgiving others, but I'm bearing a grudge against you and against you and against you and I'm harboring some ill will and I'm still upset with you and we haven't sorted it out, I can't pray this. Nor would God honor it. One of the very, very important parts to a true prayer life is you removing wrath and bitterness from your heart towards people in your life. Then is your heart free to work vertically after you have fixed the horizontal. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. If you know there is a particular thing you've done to offend God, apologize for that thing. Perhaps you have offended him for so long and in so many ways, you cannot possibly remember every single thing you've done. Then may you pray like the prodigal. Come home, come home, run, get out of the pig pen as quickly as you can, run home. And as the father runs down the path to meet you, you can humbly and sorrowfully say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And against thee, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You don't have to list them all off. You just have to be truly sorry. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Point number eight. Points of importance. God, lead us not into temptation. Is it possible that God would ever put you in harm's way? Why would we need to pray this? God, please don't put me in a tempting situation. James chapter 1 says, God cannot tempt you with evil, nor can he be tempted with evil. Not God in his natural essence. Now, Jesus and in, in, in God in human form could, could feel temptation. He never gave in to it, but in human form he could feel it. But the nature of God prevents him from ever tempting anybody to do something sinful. But there are times, rare times, when God doesn't tempt anybody to sin, but he does test a person's faith. 
Abraham. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and take him to the mount that I'll tell thee of and sacrifice him there. Jesus, the moment after he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit had descended as a dove. The next thing you see, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Is it possible that God could lead us into a test? Yes. And under such unique circumstances, if God allows you to have your Job moment, that's the time to pray and say, God, give me enough grace and strength to praise you the whole way through this trial. Because I know that the trying of my faith works patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And this fiery trial will come forth as gold. But, friend, listen to this. Lead us not into temptation. God, if you see fit to test me in some way, I know that you'll give me enough grace to get through it. But Lord, barring those unique and exceptional times, those pivotal moments, which by the way, if God ever allows you the privilege of going through that, do you realize how, how pivotal it is in their lives? Those moments change you in the greatest way. Abraham was never the same. Job was never the same. Jesus, never the same. Those moments are special and rare, but those are exceptional cases. Here's what we pray. How many of you prayed this? God, keep me safe today as I drive to work. Come on, we live in South Africa. We pray that going to, the, going to, uh, uh, to pick and pay. God, keep me safe. God, keep my family healthy, right? Don't we pray that? You know what we're praying? God, please don't let my life be any more difficult than it needs to be. Lead us not into temptation. Keep us away from the unnecessary evils of life. Deliver us from evil. God, watch over us. We are not smart enough to take care of ourselves. If you leave us to ourselves, we will run smack into a wall. We will look at the trap and then step into the trap. That's us, God. We need your help. So please, God, have your hand upon us. Watch over us because if you leave me to myself, I'm going to lead my life into a complete disaster. God, you lead us. And Lord, help me not to make my life any more difficult than it needs to be. You understand, if you pray this way, you, you, you don't. You wouldn't pray this. If you've climbed a mountain, you're standing on the edge of the cliff, looking over, Lord, lead me not into temptation, and deliver me from evil. <laughs> Are you not then provoking the Lord? Didn't Jesus deal with that when the devil put him on the pinnacle of the temple? Throw yourself down. The angels will have charge over you and keep you from dashing your foot against a stone. You don't pray like that because you know I'm putting myself in a dangerous position. So if I pray that before I start my day, I'm already, I'm preparing my mind to stay away from stuff that might hurt me and not just physical danger. God, keep me away from spiritual danger. Don't, Lord, please don't let me be in a place that is going to damage or hinder my spiritual life. 
if you pray that honestly, it'll keep you out of the places you shouldn't be when the sun goes down. It'll keep you off the websites you shouldn't be looking at when no one else is looking. Because you're not going to be doing those things and at the same time praying, God, keep me from the evil. Click. (laughs) You don't pray like that. You step in with an honest heart and say, God, how many of you have ever done this? I've done this. You go to Krispy Kreme, praise God. (laughs) And you order the Krispy Kreme, right, right, right? And, 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 and you, you're supposed to pray before you eat, right? That's what I was taught when I was... So, so you got to thank God for it. Lead us not into temptation, really? I am so tempted right now. I'm tempted to have another and deliver me from evil. You know what I've prayed? And, and I hope the Lord giggled. <laughs> Lord, please don't let this make me fat. I don't think that's a legitimate prayer, actually. But it's the best I could come up with. <laughs> I do thank God for the... Some of you guys, come on now, take it easy, take it easy. You, you, realize, you, realize, you realize when I'm praying that, I'm doing the best I can with a donut. <laughs> I'm thanking God for the donut. I appreciate a donut. You're allowed to enjoy a donut. I'm not preaching against donuts. Some of you are so serious, relax. You can have a donut, you're like, this guy preaches against donuts. I'm not preaching against... Eat your donut, thank God for it, hope you don't get fat, but you understand the illustration. I'm going to be mindful of what I'm eating. I'm going to be mindful of what I put around me, what I put in me, what I put in me, what I put in me, because I don't want to put myself in a harmful situation. Does that make sense? Lord, teach us to pray. I don't think there's a greater request you can ask of the Lord. We're not asking Him, teach us the magic words to repeat so that we get quick and easy answers. We're not asking for shortcuts. Teach us how to speak to our Heavenly Father in a meaningful way that will change us every time we do it. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll take a moment to pray about what we've heard now. The pianist will play softly. And I want you to take just a moment. This is as, as good as you can do for now for a prayer closet. This is why we say heads bowed and eyes closed. It's just to give everybody a moment of privacy. Folks, I hope you understand there there are no experts at prayer. There are just people that do it. The the ones that do it well, they will be the first to admit that they're not experts. That's what makes them experts. (laughs) They just go to God humble. They know what's on the heart and mind of God.
the Lord told us today what kind of things to talk about in the prayer closet. We, we, we pretty much covered it all. I'm not going to keep you long. As I've said, this is the kind of sermon, this is the kind of topic you learn by doing it. You're going to get more out of this sermon throughout the week. The next time you step into the prayer closet, this sermon will kick in. I, I hope, I hope. That, that's my prayer. I would love to see in the weeks and months to come, this sermon and the few to follow make a long-term difference in you personally, me personally, in our church. I'm excited to see what kind of mountains God will move if we learn how to pray. Father, our Father, Lord, to think that right now you look down from heaven in all of your holiness and majesty and are interested in what we're saying. Who are we, Lord? We pray that you would occupy the throne of our heart. We pray that, God, you'd show us what it is day by day that we can do for you. Make us as one of your humbled servants. Thank you, God, for feeding us. God, we know that some don't have that privilege. Lord, please help us to make things right with our brothers, sisters. We want to live in peace with them and with you. Lord, life is tough enough. It's only by your grace we make it through any trial. Prevent us, Lord, from the unnecessary ones. Keep us, keep us safe spiritually. Watch over us. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts this morning. Help us, Lord, as we depart to practice what has been preached. Thank you for teaching us about this. In Jesus' name, amen.